Welcome to the Multiply Your Success podcast, where each week we help growth-minded entrepreneurs and franchise leaders take the next step in their expansion journey. I'm your host, Tom Dufour, CEO of Big Sky Franchise Team. And as we open today, I'm wondering if you've ever wondered what it might be like for you to sell hundreds of franchises in just a few years. And have you thought, how would you handle that growth? There's the one part of you that probably thinks, boy, that would be amazing. I'd love for that to occur. But then comes the fulfillment side of how do you handle, train, onboard, and get all of these franchisees up and running? And our guest today is David Graham, who built Code Ninjas and went from zero franchises to more than 800 sold in just five years. And he shares with us his tips and lessons learned on his franchise journey, pre-Code Ninjas and post. Now, David is a serial entrepreneur and CEO of Valhalla's eSports training franchise and its parent company, Franchisar. He's an experienced franchise expert. He previously founded Code Ninjas, the leading children's coding education franchise to more than 500 open locations and over 800 sold, as we previously mentioned. Today, he leads multiple brands, including Pino's Palette, a paint sipping franchise, and Iron 24, a fitness franchise, in addition to Valhalla. Together, the family of brands totals more than 100 operational franchise locations in three countries, and Valhalla is currently in a high-growth stage with 30 units expected to open by the end of 2023 and 100 by the end of 2024. David shares just some phenomenal insight and information on franchising. You're going to love our interview, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Yeah, I'm David Graham. I'm the CEO of Franchisar. You have a really great background in franchising, having built multiple brands. So talk a little history about your franchise background and past. I was really fortunate to get started in franchising under the leadership of kind of a powerhouse group, which you've almost certainly heard of at Anytime Fitness. I was a franchisee, actually, and I got to know the executive team over there because I was also a technologist. So that's kind of rare in the gym industry. And so I had a really unique perspective and they allowed me to build some technology over there that I think they still use today. So in that adventure, I got to learn how, you know, how franchising works, but more importantly, I think that team dynamic that is so important in a culture of success on the back end for a franchise, it's really, really easy to get negative sometimes. And I saw from them firsthand, like what it took to like rally a team behind an ongoing, never ending project that we call franchising, right? And so I took all of that, uh, fast forward, I started a few companies, sold a few companies, but then I got to Code Ninjas, which is our first franchise brand that we really launched. That's when I started Franchise R as well. It was kind of supposed to be our shared services technology systems, Franchise R was. And then, you know, we would spawn off these little brands, you know, and I thought they were going to be, I, I was going to have a multiple little brands kind of. It ended up being that Code Ninjas took off way better than we could have expected. We sold 800 units and opened about 412, I think, in, in five years. And so that was hyper growth and all the problems and success that comes along with that. And we sold to private equity last year. And now I got to keep all my technology and most of my team. 
Now we have the same shared services at Franchisor, and we have Iron24, which is our staffless tech-enabled gym model. Learned some things over there at any time back when I was there. We also have Valhalla, which is our esports brand for kids, and it's like soft skills training for kids. We'll talk a little bit more about that, I'm sure. We recently bought Pino's Palette, which is a paint and sip concept that we think we can do some innovative and, and, and cool things with. So that's where we are, and that's where we came from. Really exciting. Well, it's interesting because you have such unique perspective, having been a franchisee, franchisor from starting your own brand, now acquiring a brand and growing. And with Valhalla in here, I'd love for you to talk about esports and this whole, it's something to me that it seems you don't go many days without hearing something about esports and what's going on there. And so I'd love for you to talk about that and youth and kids and what you're doing. You know, esports has been something that I, I kind of participated in my whole life without calling it that. You know, anytime I had a bunch of buddies over, we would play Mario until, you know, 2 a.m. and then try to see who could go through the game as many times without dying or, you know, any kind of competition that, you know, I won't say only boys, but mostly boys, when they get together, they're going to be competing about something, right? And so we were using video games before esports was a thing. But you had to, you know, basically the best you could hope for was going down to the arcade in the mall or something and, and maybe getting a rally of 10 guys together and, you know, playing Mortal Kombat. Right. It was it was pretty it was pretty low. Yeah. And then, you know, the turn of 2000, I think some of that started changing. We started seeing more online games, which is, you know, a continuation of that. But, you know, that idea, that feeling of camaraderie, of you know, sportsmanship and, and reward, you know, winning obviously is a big part of it. That that never was lost on me. So when we looked at what we did at Code Ninjas and the success that we had there, and that was very STEM oriented and technology oriented, what we said was, and I, I made a career out of that. So I, you know, I got to find anybody that's like a bigger advocate for STEM than me. But I do think there's another side of that coin, which is the soft skills and ability to lose, ability to win, you know, all these things that make us fundamentally good human beings and give us that drive and that passion to, to, to take it to the next level. I think you learn that through traditional sports most of the time. And so I was like, how can we do this through competitive gaming and using and talking to kids where they're at? You know, 75 percent of kids stop playing an organized sport after 11 years old. And so most of the kids out there don't play any kind of sport, so they can't learn to lose. They can't learn to win. They can't learn what it is to play on a team and build skills together. And I just think that's what you're missing out. You're missing out on a huge part of life. You know, no matter what they're going to go into, they're going to work on a team. And so that's how we got here. That was the basis of the idea. Since this is the new business model that you're growing here, talk a little bit yeah. more about that. Yeah. So most of our kids are going to come in. And there's three different kind of ways that we, let's say, monetize it. The kids come in on a weekly basis, a couple of times a week, just like you would in a traditional sports environment. You're going to practice one time and then you're going to play the real game one time, right? If you're playing t-ball or soccer or whatever, that's kind of the general model. And so we've really mimicked that. So we have a monthly fee. We can play year round. So it's a little bit different than traditional sports like that. But we do put it into four real seasons that you can pick up at any time and, and, and get involved in the next season of tournament play. That's one. That's that's how you do it on one level. Uh, each one of our game, we have five different games, and each game has 18 months of curriculum. So you're you're not just learning mastery, but you're also learning about how to be a great member of your community. 
You're learning how to communicate effectively in the games and outside of the games. You know, we have five different pillars. So it's, it's you know, four of them have nothing to do with getting better at the video game. So we're really like using these games as a, a vehicle to get the kids into a better place, you know, mentally, emotionally. So Fantastic. Well, and how has expansion been going with the new brand? Where are you open? Where are you looking to expand into? You know, on the sales side, franchise development side, we're not quite as fast as Code Ninjas was. But on the opening side, it's apparently we learned some stuff on opening so many because we're opening faster. So we have 60 units sold and we're, you know, by the end of the year, we'll have like 30 or 40 open. We just sold a master franchise to the UK. We learned some stuff there too. It's really hard to support franchisees seven hours ahead of us or whatever. You know, it's it's just logistically a problem. So we found a really great team to be master franchisees in the UK. Excited about that. Actually, our one of our, our VP of franchise development is over there right now, hosting two or three discovery days. And those are going fantastic. We should have you know, 10 or so units in, in the next couple, couple of months there springing up. So North America is our main focus. You know, we're looking to be everywhere in the United States. You know, obviously, we're going to have a big presence in California, Florida, Texas, New York, New Jersey, Illinois. But we're also going to have, you know, a lot of Midwestern towns that have fewer opportunities for kids to participate in things like this. And I think it really does go from big market to small market. There's no real particular limit on it, depending on a number of factors, obviously, but I think small towns can support something like this. Sure. I love what you're doing. Certainly esports is a thing. It's here, it's growing, it's only getting bigger. And I have three kids right in the kind of the sweet spot age that you're targeting. And I know two of my three, my two boys would absolutely love to be participating in this in addition to their other activities and things that they're involved with. Well, one thing you had mentioned just a moment ago which was learning about your experience from starting and scaling Code Ninjas and, and being involved in franchising. So what are some of those things you've maybe learned or that you're applying now to the new esports franchise? Well, I learned that I personally don't want to work, you know, 18 hours a day, seven days a week for two years. I mean, that was untenable. I definitely learned that I need to scale my team a lot faster and, and a broader. And, and fortunately, we kind of did it the other way this time. We were able to have a really great team in place already. And then we built brands around around that. So, but I, you know, I learned the value of having that team fully trained and fully engaged and, and with that culture of success, building and, and supporting each other all the time, you know, and these people, you're spending so much time with them, probably more than, you know, most of your kids or something, you know, it's, you've got to be here for each other and really taking advantage of all of our strengths and supplementing each other's weaknesses. Why have you gravitated toward the franchise business model? What have you found yeah. are its benefits and challenges there? Well, you know, initially I thought, you know, I could go to a private equity group with my idea that has zero units open and just pitch this idea about, you know, coding for kids or whatever and, and whatever the idea is. And, and, you know, try to open up con conventionally, you know, I guess just corporate owned locations everywhere. And I just thought, you know, no matter what I hire, who I hire in that market, there's not going to be that. There's nothing like an owner spending his own money in his own space. Right. I mean, it, when you do that, you're, you're mining your dollars and cents and you're making sure that the optimal output for your customer experience is there. 
And so I just think it really aligns everybody perfectly. Like making, if I was to raise that money and do it, I couldn't hire that person, right? Not, not quite the same person. And so even if you have an owner that is not an owner operator, they're there present, you know, in the business enough to see, hey, my manager is not working out. Then you can fine tune it on the ground there a lot better. And so I, I just thought that was the best way to allocate capital was to get buy-in from a larger group of people who are actually going to be owner and owners and most of the time operators, just because, you know, the closest money is usually the best money spent. I've seen that as well. And as you mentioned that with these franchisees being the local owner operators and having been a franchisor and supported and helped franchisees grow their business. What are some things that you found, maybe some secrets or tips that you found that you think every franchisee that's opening up might want to know to be successful? Well, I don't even know if it applies to franchisees specifically, but you know, in the franchising space, follow the model. I mean, I can't say that enough. Somebody, somebody built that model, a team of people thought about it, the plan is there. You didn't buy into a franchise to, to like go off the happy path. That's what we call it around here. You're on the happy path. Think of it as a, a wine laid highway. There's a, you know, a line on this side and a line on that side. You can drive between those lines, but when you get off the lines, it makes it basically impossible for us to, to, to help you out. And then generally speaking in business, what I always think about is, are you, are you undercapitalized? Do you have enough money to actually pull off what you're trying to do? So making sure that, you know, here's it's a very generic general rule, but, you know, take take your prospectus and cut the money in half on the top line and then take the prospectus and increase your expenses by 25 percent. If in a, in a couple of years you break even and you got enough cash flow to do that, then it might be a good idea. Like and it's not given. It just might be a good idea. Right. I mean, so like it's going to take a lot of hard work in between there. But, you know, over. Be very conservative in your projections because you you all you know as soon as you write it down you're wrong, you know, and so you write the error on the conservative side rather than the like field of dreams side, right? I think that's great advice. And hearing you describe that, I was a, a multi-unit franchisee in a system and a home services franchise for a little while. And I had these grandiose dreams that I thought I was really going to just conquer the world with. And the business did fine. The business model was fine. I followed the system. But it really ultimately came down to I got out of it what I put into it. Exactly what you're saying. You know, so yeah. your advice would have been very well received maybe eight or 10 years ago. Well, getting out of it what you put into it is the, you know, that goes for a lot more than just franchising, you know, relationships, friendships, all of those things. It's it's. It's always a reciprocal environment, right? You'd mentioned technology and your background in technology. And how is this lifelong interest and really sounds almost like a passion of, for technology? How does that help shape your approach with entrepreneurship and franchising? There's nuance in franchising that kind of makes it specifically important to have the right technology in place so that that you can scale effectively, right? I mean, that's really what starting a fast-growing franchise is all about, is how effective can you scale? And those efficiencies almost always, and not always, but almost always, are going to come through some kind of technical advantage you have over your competition. And so if you don't have the right technology in place, you don't have the right team in place that can use that technology, I, I think you're setting yourself up 
for a slow grow, at least I would say that like you can do it, but it's, it's going to be diff- more difficult. And how I've used that, you know, like, let's just say in an acquisition of a company or something, I, I usually go out and look at it through a technical lens first and say, can, how can I pour, you know, my jet fuel into this using the technologies that we have today? And is it going to be better for it? You know, and that's not just on the franchise development side, but specifically on the consumer side. How do we ensure that, you know, we can use the tools and technology that we built over the last 10 years to to create a better customer experience or to let our customers know about opportunities to, to engage with us in, in more creative ways. And so that's really how I, I look at those opportunities to acquire. And it's not, you know, the more I do this, the more I realize it's not, it's, there's no silver bullet, man. There's no, there's no replacement for real ingenuity and innovation and, and a team that can do those things on the fly is like, that's pretty impressive, you know, and so using the things that we already have, but then also knowing, hey, this isn't the right tool. You know, this is going to be this is going to be a heavy lift. We probably shouldn't get into that one. You know, like that's harder to do. Right. As an entrepreneur, as a builder, as a grower, as a guy that just like thinks we can do basically anything with technology. But my team says, yeah, I don't think we can do this one. Like that's hard for me to back off on. So, uh, you know, learning when to say no is also you know, something that's I'm still working on, let's say. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, David, this is a great time in the show. We ask every guest the same four questions before they go. And the first question we always like to ask is, have you had a miss or two on your journey and something you've learned from it? Sure. I think if 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 anybody tells you that they haven't had any swings and misses, they've probably not been in business for very long. You know, like what I always do, and this isn't like I made this up, so I'm not trying to steal steal this idea, but it's it's a principle of of like, we're not going to fear failure. Failure is going to be a learning tool for sure, and we're not going to strive for it. But when it happens, like, let's look at it and figure out how to get past that as a productive thing. Like, you know, it's kind of like the Edison's thousand light bulbs, right? Nobody talks about the 999 that he built before the one that worked, right? It's just the thousandth one happened to happen to pull it off. I I think we, we kind of go through these fantasies and especially in the press and, and things like you look at Elon Musk or somebody like him and you're like, Oh my God, he must've just been had the magic touch. And nobody really knows about the 10,000 little failures that happen along the way and, and the swings and the misses. And, and, and those are healthy, you know, and, and not thinking about them in a negative context. That's, that's the power that comes from it, right? Yeah, absolutely agree. Let's talk about a make or two. You've shared a few, but highlights or, or wins that you'd like to share along the way. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly had a bunch of wins, you know, obviously on the franchise development side, we've always been very successful. Uh, I've been able to keep a really solid team together. And I think that's that's a win in itself. We're really tight here. When we bring in somebody, you know, everybody on the team has the ability to kind of kibosh them. You know, like, it's just like, did you get the bad feeling? Is there, are, they, are they not going to jive with the team? You know, like, it's got to be 100 percent or we're just like, no, it's not worth it. Right. At this point we know what we can do and what we can pull off, you know, and, and if that's not going to work, then we, we, we definitely do that, but just like strong wins. I mean, building a company over six years and then selling it, you know, to private equity in a down market after COVID, I thought, I thought that was a pretty damn good win. You know, it's like, it's, it's a hard thing to quantify, you know, but 
you know, you try with, you try with every single one to do success, you know, that criteria is different for everybody. Let's talk about a multiplier. The show is called multiply your success. And have you used a multiplier to grow yourself personally, professionally, or companies you've worked or owned? Yeah. I mean, obviously I've talked a lot about my team and that's the, I think that's probably the generic go-to answer. You, you cannot do these things by yourself in a vacuum. You know, one of my old bosses told me a long time ago is like, Dave, you're never going to become successful in wealth. If, if wealth is your success metric, you're never going to hit that sitting behind a computer. And you know, I thought that at the time I was like, what does he know? You know, like I just thought, you know, you're just some old guy that's, you know, you're not, you don't know anything about the technology. But I realized more and more over the years that making those interpersonal connections and then being genuine in those connections, good and bad, like when things go bad, you got to be genuine. That's that's definitely a multiplier. Now, it can be a divider. <laughs> like if you're too upfront and divisive, <laughs> literally, you know, it's it's it can go both ways. And I've learned that too, right? So, my real multiplier, I guess, is that I have a team and we know when I shouldn't be talking to people <laughs> and and we put the right team member in front of the persons to which we're talking. You know, in and, and certain times, I'm definitely not the right person. Uh, and so that's my multiplier. Fantastic. Well, and, you know, it's interesting just as a kind of side discussion on this team for you. One of the things that I've noticed for franchisors and people that have had success that's been replicated in the franchise space as a franchisor, multi-unit operators, keeping that core team together is a trend or something that I've tend to notice exactly how you described. Even when you ended up selling Code Ninjas, you were able to keep the core of your team together, which I find very interesting. Have you found that to be consistent as well or what you've seen? It's certainly consistent if you want to replicate success that you bring the successful team along with you. I don't find, I think that's actually one of the harder parts about selling your brand is because that's very rare. You know, what happened for me is that I got to, you know, eventually it took a long time to get the whole team back because we had to train and, you know, replace everybody and, and do that. But our, our group that we worked with was uh, on board with that strategy. But I, so I think that's rare and it's unfortunate because I do think teams who have worked together and had a level of success in the past don't have to go through that honeymoon phase where you're like, Oh, is this, if I give this guy this thing to do, are they actually going to do it? You know, like we know, like I can, I can kick this over the fence and they're going to get it done like full trust, you know, and, and that's, and that's so important. I do see that teams though, like you said, like multiple different, if the same team can work on multiple different projects, you almost always have the same level of success. Very, very interesting. Well, the final question we ask every guest is, what does success mean to you? It's changed over the years, right? I mean, I think as a young person, you always just want to be rich. And then then, then you, you get a certain level of wealth and, and success, and you're kind of the dog that caught the car. You know, what that means to me is I think the people around me, the people that have helped me build these systems all feel appreciated, you know, whether that's my wife or my kids or or our staff. You know, I when you live in at some point, monetary means you're you're all met, right? You're you're done. <laughs> you know, you've got everything you need to be kind of happy. And so after that, you're looking at, you know, the people around you feeling fulfilled, feeling like they're they've got a place and a, have the right burden to bear. 
I think that's, you know, that's kind of success to me. As we bring this to a close, David, is there anything you are hoping to share or get across that you haven't had a chance to yet? I love franchising. I think it's one of the best inventions of our modern business cycle. You know, like, you know, it's not, it's, it's still pretty novel. You know, it's been in, been around for 80, 80, 90 years, maybe 80 years, something like that. I think it's still the best way to do this in a scalable way. And I appreciate uh, you having me on. Well, thank you. And what's the best way for someone who's maybe interested in wanting to connect with you, find out a little bit more about what you're doing, or maybe get involved with what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, you can certainly look at all of our brands at 4e.co. That's 4e.co, the number four, the letter e.co. And that has a, a list of our brands that we're currently working with. And yeah, you can f- get in touch with me at david at franchisor.com. Just shoot me an email. David, thank you so much for a fantastic interview. And let's go ahead and jump into today's three key takeaways. So takeaway number one is when David talked about building a team faster around him, and he said he worked for 18 hours a day for two years before he had built an appropriate team around him to help support the growth. And while he was able to sell 800 franchise units in roughly five years and get over 400 of those open during that time period, he said he was working way too much. And he said that was a lot of stress and time that was put in on it. And building that team sooner was a key takeaway. Takeaway number two is why he chose franchising as an expansion vehicle, especially for these next brands that he's looking to grow. And he said he originally thought about using private equity to grow, but he said franchising provides that local ownership to have someone with vested interest in the success of that local franchise. And I thought the the key nugget here is that he said the closest money is the best money spent. Takeaway number three is that he said to franchisees out there, if you're an existing franchisee or someone that's thinking about buying a franchise, he gave a few bits of information. I'll try to summarize those quickly. He said, follow the model. And he said that they call that in their system, the happy path. And you don't want to buy a franchise and go off the happy path. Stay on that happy path to follow the system. And when you're considering buying a franchise, he said, look at the financials that are provided in the item 19 or the prospectus. And he said, cut the top line in half and increase the expenses by 25% as you start to build out your franchise projections for your franchise units. And now it's time for today's win-win. So today's win-win comes from when David shared with us about building a great team and interpersonal connections. And I know we mentioned this in our first takeaway from the day about him working 18 hours a day for two years, but he said he didn't want to do that and should have built a team sooner. And he learned the value of building a great team around him. And when he talked about what success means, he said it's about having people around you to feel fulfilled, including your family, friends, and the staff and people you're working with. I thought those were great nuggets, great takeaways, and it really is the win-win that as you're building this franchise system to have a team with you to help grow and implement together. 
And so that's the episode today, folks. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a review. And remember, if you or anyone you know might be ready to franchise their business or take their franchise company to the next level, please connect with us at BigSkyFranchiseTeam.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you back next week.